0: You guys can be seated. Uh, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, and my name is Chris. And you know, Pastor Mike and Courtney, they had um, a several vacation days of rest. That's a good thing. And that also means that I get the joy of being able to bring God's word to us as a family. Um, I, I want to be selfish for a second. I've, we're on Facebook Live right now, and I've got a lot of folks from Georgia where I'm from watching. So hello, Georgia. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, today's Father's Day, and uh, uh, I want to say thanks to all you dads that are watching online or sitting here this morning. We are blessed to have the men that we have in our church, and it is a joy to be able to get to serve right alongside with you. Um, I've been a dad for a little while, and this past week, I hit a milestone as a dad. My oldest, my daughter, she got her learner's permit. It's exciting. Um, so I'm going through the first time experience, the joy, but the terror of teaching someone how to drive. So if you could pray for me, actually pray for her, because you know I'm a bit of a control freak. So if you could pray for her, that would be great. But when I hit that milestone this week, I was really struck with how fast time has gone by. Um, I still remember becoming a first time dad and having no idea what I was doing, um, Just to give you an idea of what a great dad I was when I first started off, um, one time Maddie was four months old, and I think it's important for you to know what a four month old looks like. This is her at four months, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, my wife trusted me alone with her. Uh, That was a bad judgment on her call, so it kind of feels like this is on her. Uh, if I'm being honest, but anyway, so she left me alone with her, and so I put her down on the ground, and I gave her a rattle, but I didn't give her a rattle that you're probably thinking of, that would be too obvious, Uh, it was right around Halloween time, and so I gave her a little plastic bag of Runt's candies, so if you don't know what that is, let me just tell you what it is, it's a small plastic bag full of hard fruit-shaped candies about the size of a four-month-old's throat. What could possibly go wrong with this picture? And as if that wasn't bad enough, I lay her on the ground, and then I take off. I don't know what was more, impress- more pressing to me, but I leave her in there by herself. And so then my wife comes home. It gets worse. My wife comes home and finds her, and here's how she's found her. Maddie has gotten this plastic bag ripped apart, so now she has pieces of plastic bag in her hands. And by God's grace, those candies hadn't gotten in her mouth. But we were close. She had these candy streaks of color going down her cheeks. Needless to say, it did not go well for me that afternoon. If it weren't for Meg and the grace of God, my four kids wouldn't be here this morning. I'm convinced of that. And I remember a few years later when I had four kids, six and under, and just overwhelmed with how much I didn't know and how much I had to learn. I thought, it can't possibly get worse than this. I can't see a way out. And then my kids started to become teenagers. And if you haven't hit that point yet, it gets harder. It gets harder. I love them, but it's challenging. Being a dad is no joke of all the roles I've played in my life. Being a dad for me is the hardest. And I'm thankful this morning that we have God's word that is full of instruction and wisdom on how to be good dads. Now, this book doesn't have anything in here about not giving your four-month-old a bag of runts as a rattle, probably because God figured that was obvious. But nonetheless, full of instruction. So this morning, I want to dig into the Word of God and go over and see what it means to be a good dad. We're going to be digging into the story of the prodigal son. And that's a story that is familiar to a lot of us, and I think it really is because we, are, we, we identify with the son himself. But what I want to show this morning is that this parable isn't about the son as much as it is about the father and how the father loves and teaches and guides his children. And the father in this parable is a picture of our heavenly father, right? And so um, we as earthly dads, we can look to the actions of this father and see how we can be better dads here on this earth. And so here's our main point this morning. To be a good father... Dads, if you want to be a good father, follow the greatest father. Now, I'm going to be talking a little bit to dads this morning, but I would encourage all of you not to tune out because I hope there's something in there for everything, for everybody. Um, First of all, some of you may not be dads, but you will be one day. Or some of you are moms, and there's tons of general parenting lessons we can pick up from the father. But every one of you have some amount of influence to kids around you. Um, At the very least, the kids in this church where you are role models for our family. So let's get started. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 11. And the first lesson as dads, I want us to see is this. A good father pursues a greater calling. We pursue a greater calling. So let's read together, starting in verse 11. It says, and he, this is Jesus talking, he said, there was a man who had two sons. So we know right away there are three characters in this parable. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So we see here in this parable that the younger of the two sons, he's approaching the father and he says, hey, give me the share of property that is coming to me. It it was very common, it's a little less common, but it still happens today, but it was very common back then for a father to leave an inheritance for his family to set them up as they move on in their lives but usually that inheritance passed on to the kids when he was dying or when he had already passed because that money was also meant to cover himself and his wife as they got older and so it's very unusual for the younger son to come and say hey give me my inheritance now So what the younger son is saying is he so badly wants to go his own way that he's willing to forsake his own dad. And he's like, you know what? I know you may have needs as you get older. I don't care. I have wants. I want it now. And we see here that when he gets the the inheritance, he immediately cashes it out and takes off. And so by doing this, he's saying, I'm severing my relationship with you, dad. And as soon as he takes off, we see that his plan doesn't really go according to plan, if he even had a plan, and he finds himself in a really tough spot. And I think what strikes me the most in this, pa- this part of the parable is that the father willingly gives the inheritance. It says he, he, just, he does it willingly, he does it without a lecture. There's no warning like we would probably do. It just simply states that he divided his property between them. Why? So from time to time my kids will ask me some version of this question. Hey Dad, how much money do you make an hour? Hey, hey Dad, how much money do you make? And Um, I think they're just being curious, but I think what's funny about this is if you've ever had any conversation with kids, then you know they have zero concept of money. They don't know how much things cost or what it takes to live. And one of my younger daughters just recently told me in confidence, no longer confidence actually, but um, she said, hey dad, I want to make sure I'm cared for as I get older. And so I've just decided in my heart that my husband is going to have to make at least $3 million a year. I got to be taken care of and I don't know where she got that number but let me just tell you that um, many years from now she'll be in starting to date and if you're watching or if you're here if any of you guys have some interest in my daughter um, you better start working now start saving start getting a good job because that is the standard that she has set for herself you know but sometimes they ask me some version of this hey, Dad, how much of an inheritance am I going to get from you? My answer is always the same. It's, sweetie, it is so kind of you to ask about my impending death. But let me just tell you, I don't even know if there's going to be enough money for me as I get older, much less you. So you best be looking for that $3 million a year husband. But really, all of us, maybe not now, now we're, it's tough economic times, but at some point in our life, we're trying to save a little bit of money for um, our retirement, for, to care for us as we get older. Maybe it's a savings account, maybe it's a retirement account at work. What would you really do if your teenager, or a teenager you know, came to you and said, ha, it is so awesome that you're being so disciplined, but man, I have wants. I have an in-ground pool I want to put in, or I want to go to Europe, or I want this big car. Could, could you just cash out that money and just give it to me? No questions asked, I just want it. I would venture to say that nobody in this room or online would say, okay, so why does the Father do this? Why does the Father grant the inheritance? And I think it's pretty simple. It's because the Father has a greater calling. The Father's mission above all else It's to lead his son back to a restored and right relationship with himself where he was meant to be. Father Father knows the son. He knows he's going to go and not use it wisely. But he says, hey, I'm not making choices with my own well-being in mind. Here's my money. Take it. It's not going to make you happy. But if it brings you back to me, if it shows you what you are meant to be, take it. The price is worth it. That is my greater calling. And we're going to see later in this parable that the price he paid was absolutely worth it. So dads, just like the father in this parable, we are called to the same thing. Our greater calling to our families is to lead our children towards a restored and right relationship with the Lord where they were designed to be. That's our calling above all else. And it means we are called to be the spiritual leader in our home. Whew. That's a tough topic. I think some of us men, a lot of us men, get intimidated by this idea of being a spiritual leader in the home. You know, maybe we just don't think we know the word as well as we should. So, how can I instruct? And if I can't be good at this, I'm out. Or maybe our spouse has a deeper faith than we do and how can I lead that? How can I be effective at leading my wife? Or maybe we feel so pressed in on by our culture that flies against this idea that the man is the spiritual leader in the home. But men, we can't afford not to do this. If we believe in Jesus, if we believe in the word, this is our calling. Scripture is clear. We are called to lead our family and our kids to him. So so how do we, what does it look like to be a spiritual leader? Well, First of all, I'm not saying go cash out your retirement account and give it to your kids to teach them a lesson. Don't do that. Please. But I don't think spiritual leadership has to be scary, and let me just give you a few ways that I think Um, we can do this. Number one, lead your family by being in the word. Get in the word regularly. Man, this is our greater calling. If we're called to usher our children back to the Lord, we can't do that if we're not going there ourselves. And so get in the word. And when you're in the word, here are two easy ways to lead those around you. Number one, just tell them what you're learning. It could be anything. Anything. Right? You could be like, hey, I just read this story about Noah and this big boat and this flood and the rainbow, or I finally figured out the whole Trinity. Finally, I can just explain it to you. If you do, come see me. Maybe it's somewhere in between, right? But just share with your kids what you're learning. And then number two, ask them what they're learning. A a good leadership tip that someone gave me a long time ago is this. You don't have to know the answers to be a good leader. You just have to ask good questions and listen. What are you learning this week? Oh, that's really interesting. What are you gonna do with that? How does that change you? Just open-ended questions and listen. And of course, if you don't know the answer, you can look it up together. So lead by being in the word. Second of all, lead by being on your knees. That just simply means praying for your family. And listen, if you don't have kids yet, if you have kids in diapers, if you have kids who have kids in diapers, you can do this no matter what stage of life you're in. You can pray for your families. When we pray for our families, we are showing God, and more importantly ourselves, that our family is not ours. They are his. And we have been stewarded with this gift of managing and leading them. So pray for your families, pray for his guidance, pray for their salvation, and pray for him to keep you on your greater calling. Lead by being on your knees, and then finally, lead by being broken. Every single person in this room is broken by sin. We're all broken in different ways, but we are broken by our sin, and I am just as broken as my children and so, men, we're going to lose our patience. We're going to say things we don't mean. We're going to do things we don't mean. Age appropriate. Filter it for the age of your kids, but own that. Confess your sins to your kids and ask them to forgive you. This is such a powerful way to show Christ to them. When you confess your sins to them, you're showing what it means to be a fallen sinner covered by the grace of God. And they relate to him the same way. And you're showing your kids that, listen, I am not the source of your power or truth. It's the Lord. My job as the father of my family is to bring my kids to the Lord. And when I confess my sins, I am showing them that he is Lord. So lead by being broken. Some of you listening this morning or watching online, um, you may be thinking this, and I, I feel that because I have been here for a long time. You may be thinking, this is all good. This is true. I see it in the parable. Great, all on board. But I didn't have this growing up. I didn't have my dad leading me, or I didn't even have my dad at home, or I don't have it now. All of our stories are different, but I just want to give you some hope. The Lord is sovereign, the Lord sees you, the Lord loves you. Um, I grew up in a home that was much like that. My dad was around, he loved me, but he was not a spiritual leader. And in some ways, he went the other way, and so it was hard. And I grew up, became a Christian, didn't know what it meant to follow the Lord as a man of God, didn't, certainly didn't know how to lead my children and my wife as a man of God. So I understand where you're at. And so let me just give you two things from my own personal life that you can think about and move forward. Number one, pray for and seek out godly men who can mentor you. The Lord saved me in this in so many ways by bringing me key men in my life when I needed it that could show me how to lead, how to be in the word, how to learn from the word, and how to lead my family. So pray for that. God will provide. And second, know this, that no matter where your earthly dad fails, your heavenly father will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His promises are a thousand percent true. That's not even mathematically possible, but it's true. The God of this book never changes. A hundred percent full-on God, and he is your father. And he will meet your needs, and he will meet you where you are. So have hope. A good father follows a greater calling. The next parenting lesson from this parable is that a good father offers a greater love. Let's read back together in the parable, starting in verse 17. It says, But when he, this is the younger son, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The younger son here reaches his lowest point. He's broke. He's starving. He's desperate. He sees that the only way back is back to his father. It says here that he came to himself. and That just means that he sees the foolishness of his choices and says he's going home. Yes, that's what we want. But even though he's decided and he's resolved to go back home, do you guys see here that he's scared? He's nervous. And I see that because he's actually practicing what he's going to say to the father. He rehearses it. And how many of you guys have been in that spot before? You got a hard conversation to have with your boss or a kid, or your spouse, and and you're not looking forward to, but man, you don't want to mix your messages, and you want to get it just right, and so you practice it in your head, or maybe even you say it out loud, and that's what the father's doing, or the son's doing, sorry. And listen to where the son is. He's squandered everything. And the the father's going to hear how he squandered it, and that's embarrassing, and so he's thinking, have I gone too far? Will I even be accepted when I get home? Here we see the greater love this father offers his lost and desperate son. First of all, it says that he saw him from a long way off. And that is hope. The father is hoping, waiting, longing, looking for the son's return. And then, um, to help you see, uh, appreciate more of what's happened, um, i got a visual for you, if I can get this on. So, my brother-in-law has been to Middle East, the Middle East, and he is a whole lot taller than me, so this looks like a tent on me. But what I'm wearing right now is a, a tunic that is very common in the Middle East, and certainly at that time. This is a lot of what men wore at that time. And so we see here that he saw him from a long way off, and then he gets up and runs. Now, Men of this stature, listen, he was a father, an older father. He had means because he had servants, and he had enough money to give his inheritance to the son early. Men like this, they didn't get up and run. Men came to him. It would be undignified to get up and run. And, and then to get up and run, um, first of all, if I were just to walk down these stairs to Micah, I would surely kill myself. And that would be the end of this message. But in order for me to run to the back, I would have to hike these things all the way up to be able to move my legs and run. And to show your bare legs and that culture was humiliating and embarrassing. And so the father would have to be undignified, humiliated, and embarrassed to run to his son, but he does not care. He gets up, he runs, and he covers his son with love and embraces him and kisses him. His greater love is on full-on display right now. And why? Because the greater calling has been fulfilled. His mission is for his son to come back, and that is what happens. Nothing else is more important, certainly not what anybody else thinks of him. And do you, do you see that the father cuts off the son in his rehearsed speech, and do you see where he cuts him off? right before he's going to say, treat me as one of your higher servants, by all means, no. You are restored fully as my son. Church, this is the true heart of the gospel. You and I, we are just like this prodigal son. Foolish, lost in our bad choices, forfeiting our heavenly inheritance. But when we come to our senses and turn back to him, he comes Running, He comes running to us no matter how embarrassed we are, no matter how ashamed we are, he's running to us. And it is the death of Jesus on the cross who paid our punishment that makes that reunion possible. So if this morning, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do it right now, today, and turn to the Lord and experience him the joy of him welcoming you home. The greater love this father offers is the vehicle that accomplishes the greater calling. You can't have one without the other, right? The greater calling wasn't accomplished until this forgiveness was offered by his greater love. And so dads, just like the father in this parable, we can't lead our kids spiritually unless we cover it with greater love. Listen, if we are all about pursuing our greater calling, but we don't combine that with a greater love, we will fail. So how do we wrap our pursuit of a greater calling with greater love? There's a lot of ways. Let me just give you a few uh, that come to mind today. First of all, love your kids enough to study them. Our kids were designed by the Lord with specific gifts, specific purposes, and so how can we as dads move them to that purpose? Study them. Who are they? What motivates them? What interests them? They are different people, and every one of your kids are different. Listen, the truth in this Bible will never change. They will never change but how we communicate that truth can change. If we know our children well, we can tailor the truths of this message to them and meet them at a place where they are. So study your kids to love them well. Second of all, love them enough to discipline. Man, my kids love it when I say to them, I am punishing you because I love you. Our parents said that to us, right? I'm saying it to my kids and guess what? they will say it to their kids, even though they don't like it now. Because it's true. Love is discipline. Love is giving your kids clear boundaries and rules that provide security and build responsibility. Love is not protecting your kids from consequences. The son was fully restored, but remember, his inheritance is gone. We're going to see in the next section of the parable that this father's already said, all that I have is the other son. So his inheritance is gone. There are consequences to his bad choices, but he's welcomed back. Love them enough to discipline, and finally, love them enough to believe the best. I have to say this is a lesson that the Lord's been working on me a lot in the last year or two. Sometimes our kids, our spouses, our boss our brother, our sister, sometimes they're going to say things that don't make sense to us that isn't the way we would do it and it can get super dangerous when we start to make assumptions about their motivations. Why are they doing that? Are they out to get me? Are they mad at me? Why is my son doing that? Is he rebellious? Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just being a dumb kid. It's okay because I do a lot of dumb things too. Choose to believe the best about your kids. Believe that they have the best intentions. Believe that they love you. They want to please you. They want to make you happy. That's not always going to be the case. We're all broken people. But if you take this mindset, it will change how you approach your kids. It will change how you discipline them, and it will change how they receive you. So love them enough to believe the best and wrap your greater calling with greater love. Our last lesson this morning from the greatest father is that a good father has greater priorities. Let's go back to the parable and start in verse 25. Now his older son, this is the third character, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The younger son's home, the father's celebrating, and the older son is ticked. He comes back from working in the fields, And he's like, listen, my son, my brother's been off wasting your property. And now he's back. He should be written off. But now we're going to have a party? No way. Parents, how many of you have ever heard your kids say, that's not fair? Don't we hear it like every day? <laughs> Man, kids have such a keen sense of justice when it comes to other kids. And that's what the son is saying here. He's saying, that's not fair. And he's not angry with his brother. He's angry with the father. He says, this son of yours is not my brother. It's your son. You granted his request. Your inheritance is gone. And by the way, I've been working my tail off and you haven't even given me as much of a goat for a party. Now, I don't know what kind of parties they had back then, but it clearly wasn't a party unless you had a goat. So, Nathaniel, maybe the next youth event. Go. I see it. I think a lot of times we get focused on this younger son, but listen, the father's calling, is his greater calling is to both sons. And we're going to see that he's going to wrap that calling in greater love. The older son's critical heart is... He's missing what's happening because he's so critical and bitter. And listen, even though the father hasn't done anything wrong, he leaves this party and comes out and pleads with him to see what he's missing, greater love. The faithful father challenges his son to see the bigger picture. There are greater priorities than things like goats and parties. Your brother was dead. He was lost but now he has found nothing else matters. Of course it's fitting to celebrate. The father says to his older son, and he says to us earthly dads as we parent our kids, he says this, it's not about you. It's not about goats. It's always about the kingdom. Jesus' ultimate message to the Pharisees and to us is this check your priorities. Um, When Megan and I first moved down to St. Louis, I was an actuarial consultant, and I really liked the job. I got to travel a lot. I went to a lot of different places around the country. Um, I had some great benefits, and um, I worked um, um, I got to work on lots of different types of projects. But as, as I got older and my family got bigger, those perks became a little bit Not so perks, not so perky, (laughs) that's a word, Um, because um, um, I was working a lot, I was traveling a lot, I was working all kinds of weird hours, and so I remember getting to a point where um, I was in a hotel room somewhere by the time my third child came along, I was sitting in a hotel room and I called Meg and I said, I cannot do this anymore. I wasn't able to spend as much time with my kids. I wasn't involved in church at all and I just like I can't do it. And so we made the really hard decision to leave that job and there were a lot of consequences. It was a very stressful time for us but we decided to leave. And I remember when I announced I was leaving, the head of the practice called me and said, Chris I heard you're leaving. I don't want you to leave. What can we offer you to get you to stay? And I said that's really kind of you but I explained to him what I just said that my priorities were changing. I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I didn't have time for anything but work. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. My wife, my kids, they don't get to spend as much time with me as they would want. And I certainly don't have any time other than work, but my family has never complained about that. And you want to know why? He said they like the house they live in, the cars they drive, and the vacations that they go on. And I said, thank you for making my decision a little bit easier. True story. And, and I'd like to say that from that point on, I had all my priorities in order, but I didn't. Um, it is hard. We have lots of things pulling on our time. And so it is hard to constantly make sure that we are filtering things through in the right order. A few years ago, as I started to get more and more responsibility in the church and I had more kids, um, a good friend of mine shared with me a list of priorities to filter my decisions, my time, and my money. And it's been super helpful for me, so I want to share that with you this morning. Here are the priorities that he shared with me. Number one, number one is your personal walk with the Lord above all else. If this is our greater calling. If this is our top priority, we have time for this number two, your spouse, number three, your children, number four, your career or your school, wherever you're at. After all that is church service and community. You guys know me. You know I wouldn't get a list out here without talking about church service, right? And then after that is everything else. Maybe not every one of these apply to you, maybe you're not married, maybe you don't have kids, but the order would still apply. So as we sit here and look at this list, let me just ask you, how are you doing with this? How are you, how's your time being managed? How's your money being managed? Is it in the right order? I think it's easy to get things upside down. Maybe we put our kids higher. Um, maybe we put our kids higher than our spouse. Maybe we're scared to discipline them because of the feedback and the repercussions of that. Maybe we put their activities above everything else. This is something I struggle with a lot, if I'm being candid. But when we put our kids higher than they need to be, we're teaching them to be self-centric and not God-centric. Our greater calling is to point them to the Lord. It's not about them. It's about the Lord. Or maybe we put our work higher than we should. That's what I was doing Be good at what you do. Love what you do. Work hard at what you do. That is biblical. But don't put it higher than your family. You can't be on your greater calling if you're not there. Uh, Here's another one that's a little bit closer to me. Um, What if I put church service higher than it should be on that list? How can it be bad to serve the church? Well, if I'm not leading my family well, then I'm definitely not serving the church well. And so listen, men, if you need to lead your family well, and you need to put time on that, do that and do less setup and teardown. I cannot believe that just came out of my mouth. but on behalf of your leadership team, that's true. That's what we want. Lead your families well. We can put into practice right priorities for the good of those around us to the glory of the Lord. So listen men, to be a good. Father, follow the greatest father. The parable of the prodigal son is a powerful story of God's redemption, but it is also full of material for us dads, no matter where we are, no matter how how long we've been a Christian, and listen, no matter what your current state of your relationship with your kids. If we lead by being broken, if we lead by being on our knees, God is faithful and he can restore and mend any broken relationship, amen? So men, lead your family with a greater calling. Sacrifice for your family with a greater love and balance your life with greater priorities. Your wife, your children, and your church will be better for it. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning because you are our greatest Father. And you wrap us with your greater love. How deep your love for us, Lord, that when we turn from our ways, when we confess our sins to you, that you open your arms and you come running to us to embrace us back home. Father, if there are those in this, this morning that don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you now and be welcomed by who you are. Lord, help us to be better dads. Help us to be on our greater calling, pursuing that calling. And Father, this morning, there are lots of people in lots of different places. Father's Day is a hard day for a lot of people. Maybe we're, our, our relationship with our dad is not good. Or maybe our relationship with our children, they're not good. Or maybe our dad's not even here anymore. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would meet us where we are. You are the greatest father. Your love is insurpassable. And, Lord, we just pray that you would cover us. We pray that we would praise you and fall on you as our father. And we love you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.